0: Hello, and welcome to the Maximuth Theater and Performance Podcast. This is David Levy. On today's episode, we give you a peek at what's coming up in July. Enjoy the show. So before we dive in, let's introduce who's around the table.
1: Hi, I'm Deep Tran. I'm the senior editor of American Theater Magazine, and I write about pop culture and art and representations and fun stuff.
2: Hi, I'm Oren Squire, and I review plays for New York Theater Review. All
0: right, so, Deep, why don't we start with you? What are oh. you looking forward to?
1: Oh, shit. Okay, why, why, why do I have to go first? Okay, uh, the first, first off, I wanted to talk about something that has already opened, but it's running until August, and I think it's really worth seeing. It's called In the Green, and it's a musical... Bo- Blah. And it's a musical by Grace McLean, who was one of the cast members in Natasha Pierre in a Great Comet of 1812. She's such a talented singer, songwriter. Her, her stuff kind of sounds like a mix of like Im- Imogen Heap and Peggy Lee. And she has so, such a, like, a lovely, low resonant voice. I'm kind of obsessed with her. And because she's a redhead, I'm obsessed with redheads. Natural redhead. (laughs) And In the Green is currently playing at LCT3. And it's a musical about Hildegard von Bingen, who was like one of the first, the earliest known composer whose records we still have and she also happened to be a woman and she also happened to be like the first woman doctor of the catholic church and she was allowed to like give sermons because she basically said oh i'm a i'm a woman god speaks through the meek and no one's meeker than a woman so this is what god is you know god's telling me to tell you all this stuff and so she was able to command, you know, respect and power in the time when women didn't have any of those things. And the musical is about the first 30 years of years of her life where she was placed in a cell and and with with another nun and they and the and the first seventy five minutes of it is basically them working through some stuff out in a cell. It, it. The execution is a lot better than what I'm making it sound like because the music is really modern and really inventive, and it talks a lot about like trauma and agency and consciousness and how to be and you know mental fragmentation. So it's re- It's really cerebral. It's kind of like Inception. And it's also really moving at the same time. And um, and tickets are only $35 because LCT3 is really affordable and you can see some great and new work there for very cheap, which is really important, I think, if you want to get young people and people of different types into the theater.
2: What is going on with l c t three in a good yeah. way Mary Seacoles yes. and now this like they 're becoming the New York theater workshop of the upper west side
1: well i don 't want to give him all the credit, but they re- they had a new artistic director who's also a friend of mine, evan cabinet, and he's he's been trying to balance like the outstanding commissions they have from people like Rand Jacob Jenkins and Jackie Sibblis Drury with like newer work like grace's grace McLean's work
2: well it's fantastic yeah. I mean, not to disparage lct3 from five years ago (laughs) but you would not see the stuff we're seeing this season yeah you would definitely not see mary Seacole's. No, and and, uh, you would see more like people around a kitchen table with maybe a montage of things happening but kudos to them i'll I'll be there Mm -hmm. i've heard mixed things about it but you're selling me on it (laughs)
1: I mean, it doesn't completely work, but, you know, it's one of those things where it doesn't doesn't work 100%. I have some issues with the ending, but, like, I admire the ambition of it. And, you know, that and Octet, I feel like there's, like, and A Strange Loop. I feel like there's something with, like, experimental musicals right now that's really interesting where it's, it's, it's it's not narrative. It's not naturalistic, and it's not through a straight linear narrative. Like, they're breaking the form in both style and also style of story and also style of music.
2: I'm going to go get tickets because I saw Strange Loop. I was not able to get tickets to Octet, and I've given up on that because it's closing today, Mm. I think. And so in the green, I think I can at least get two out of the three experimental
0: musicals.
1: And if you don't like it, it's $35. Yeah. You can afford it.
0: I'm going to jump in with one of my... Recommendations Because it's also an experimental musical, only it's an experimental musical from the 60s, which is Promenade, which is getting a two-night-only concert revival at Encores Off Center, uh, July 10th and 11th. Uh, and this is a show that I've been fascinated with for a long time because of its inclusion in a book that was um, one of my favorite library books when I was a kid called Great Rock Musicals, which I eventually tracked down on eBay and got a copy of for myself. What's funny about this is it is not a rock musical as we think of rock music, like the music is very, like showtuny bordering on operetta, but the script is punk rock all the way. It is by Maria Irene Fornis, who uh, is a you know the queen of experimental and absurdist theater of the '60s through relatively recently, although she's no longer with us. And the music is by the Reverend Al Carmines, who is the founder of the arts program at Judson Street Church, which is actually where this show first debuted in its original Off -off Off-Broadway incarnation in 1965. Um, So it's an absurdist show. It's about two criminals who escape from a very corrupt jail and then find themselves at a dinner party for wealthy people. And the whole thing is just about how uh, ridiculous society is, how ridiculous wealthy people are, how ridiculous the so-called justice system is. Uh, it has an anti-war message wrapped into it as well. It, you know, This is not a show you go to see for story. It is a show you go to see for for message and for performance. The original cast had uh, Madeline Kahn and um, Alice Playton and uh, George Rose and a bunch of other people that – uh, you may know the Encore's cast has James T. Lane and Kent Overshone as the criminals. Brianna Marie Parham is the servant, who I am particularly excited for because she was the almost the only thing that made Prince of Broadway or seeing last year. I just I think she's fantastic. And a big ensemble cast with some other favorites uh, in there as well. And it's just it's a show that when you listen to it or when you read it, you don't get the whole it just doesn't make sense. But every time it's done in production people rave about it, so I'm excited to finally get the chance to see it in production. And for people who don't know, Ankers Off Center is at City Center. It's a huge theater, so they have um, enough seats to be able to offer them, starting at $25, going all the way up to $125. Mm -hmm. There's also discount codes available, and most of their shows end up on TDF. And One Hour Before Curtain, they do... A free additional performance for ticket holders called The Lobby Project, which is in partnership with The Civilians, where they do a brief uh, documentary musical about the creation of the show you're about to see. So those are really cool. The ones from last year are available on The Civilians SoundCloud page if you want to get a sense of what that's like. Um, but it's definitely worth showing up an hour early so that you can watch that too. So that's Promenade on Off Center.
1: Wait, the lobby does, is it's live. The lobby element of it, yeah. So oh. it's it's in their
0: upstairs lobby, like the what? on the mezzanine level. Okay, um, they set up a stage and they usually have like four or five singers with a pianist and nice. you know it's a mic so you can hear it and and it's original. It's they it, each it's usually like four or five numbers and each one is written by a different uh, songwriter who's affiliated with the civilians. Mm-hmm. So it was very cool.
2: I want to talk about the. Hot Festival at Dixon Place because Ooh. it is Pride weekend where we are talking from David's apartment. Can we say that? Yeah. Okay. David's apartment, Pride weekend, happy Pride. <laughs> We're going with that Pride spirit and also Fourth of July spirit. Hot Festival at Dixon Place is a celebration of queer culture. It's been around for several years and there are 49 new works. I counted them manually on the website uh, and it's running from July 2nd to July 31st. So, There are a lot of different performers, artists, multimedia artists, and dancers and choreographers who are all given maybe one or two performances similar to Ars Nova's Ant. And I figure it's a trial run for shows to get picked up later. I really like Dixon Place. They're sort of the port authority of queer artists coming into (laughs) New York City. You got to go through there. You got to at least see see the insanity and the craziness. And everyone has a story who's been through there. Uh, And I think recently with their new renovated space, I've also enjoyed a higher quality work and the fact that they have an AC during the summer, which is very important as we're going to discover in the next month or so. So a few of the highlights that I wanted to bring to your attention, uh, Ivanka play by Charles Gershom, director, Rachel dart on July 15th. And it is about Ivanka and Jared Trump and ASMR and other things involving meditation, heroism, SM, and America's First Daughter. So it sounds hot and queer and weird. So that's what we're here for. Another play is Chaos Theory of Now by Jennifer Joy, a one person dramedy uh, about science, quantum physics, Trump voting. We were seeing a theme here, uh, and evangelical homeschooling. Uh, when I was in LA two years ago, one of the best things I saw. Was at Theater of Note, and it was a one person show that was queer about a woman exploring her time in an evangelical summer camp. And it was so beautiful and weird and scary and interactive, and it was maybe 10 people in the audience. And we're going through this experience of blending religion that you laugh at at first. And yes, we're here in an experimental theater space in LA off Sunset Boulevard, so we don't expect a true, faithful rendering of evangelical Christianity but in joking about it, finding your own truth, finding the universal links of being indoctrinated into whatever religion your parents gave you uh, growing up. And I feel like this is in spirit with that, and I've been studying a lot of quantum physics and quantum mechanics lately for a variety of other projects, so that popped out in my mind. And then finally, uh, those muscle-bound cowboys from Snake Pit Gulch Mm. by Andy Holliday, which is, as wild as it sounds, in the 1849 gold rush, that is going to probably feature a lot of uh, muscle-bound cowboys without shirts on yeah. and a lot of camp. I mean, the title itself screams camp, and that's running on July 17th at 7.30, I believe. So those muscle-bound cowboys from Snake Pit Gulch, if you want something campy. You have Chaos the Chaos Theory of Now, if you want something intellectual as a queer. And then you have Ivanka Play, if you want something political and to say fuck you to Donald mm. Trump uh, this season, July second to thirty first at Dixon Place. Check it out.
1: Oh, do all the shows just have one performance?
2: There are a few that have two or three, but like out of the forty nine I counted, most of them are one night only.
0: One of the great things too is that a bunch of these performances are free. So if you take a look okay. at the website, and even the ones that aren't free, they max out at I think fifteen dollars. So it's it's totally it's worth very it. Very affordable. And most of the ones that are $15, you can get for $9 on TDF. And because they're off-off, you don't even need to be a TDF member to get the $9 tickets.
2: David's doing the work of Jesus, Theater (laughs) Jesus, with a spreadsheet of discounts available for each one of these offers. So that's great.
1: Uh, the next show I'm really looking forward to, which is, I, I think a lot of people in New York are looking forward to this one. It's Douglas by Hannah Gatsby, her follow up to Nanette, which you all saw on Netflix. Do I need to tell you about Nanette? Or I, I think we? that's
0: good. We had like a whole—I <laughs> like, want to say yeah. two whole episodes about Nanette. Like.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, remember how Hannah Gatsby said she was quitting comedy, and Nanette—that's not happening. I knew that
0: wasn't going to happen. <laughs> We all knew that.
1: <laughs> I mean,
0: I figured she was quitting a certain kind of comedy. Yeah.
1: Well, well, from what I heard, because uh, Douglas ha- is, has been touring around the country, and from what the reviews I heard from other places, it's not... It, it, it occupies a similar territory to the to net, and also talks, well you, well, you know, feminism, art history, the patriarchy, all of those fun things that we love to talk about. And also, she was recent, Hannah Gatsby was recently diagnosed with autism, so... She talks about that as well, so th- there's some intersectionality there, and it's allegedly it is not as serious as Nanette. I've heard.
2: Is she going to talk about dating Joe Soloway from Transparent? I-
1: we're going to have to find Hot, out. Hot lesbian have they, couple. Have they
0: acknowledge themselves as a couple No, yet? I
2: think it's just a pop-up in mean, places everyone together. Everyone knows. Yeah. Everyone it's knows. It's the worst-kept secret in lesb- lesbianism. <laughs> <laughs> like, we all know. Uh, just announce it on Twitter and get it over with. Because that, that's the way people do relationships now. I don't um,
1: know. I feel like every time comedians joke about their relationship in, in a show, it kind of more, puts more stress on the relationship, no?
2: It does. Unless they're single, then it's kind of like bait. I've seen so many people get hookups from just being like, I'm single and miserable. And there's a line of uh, people. I was about to say something else. There's a lot of people who are waiting to uh, alleviate their misery in various ways. So in this case, I figure she doesn't want to announce it because it sounds like you've gone Hollywood. If you're dating, like, one of the key lesbians. Uh, power brokers in Hollywood from Nanette and you're trying to disavow traditional comedy, but I'm actually fine with it. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I think it's kind of cool, even though she doesn't care what I think. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with you doing this. Uh, if, in case you were wondering, Hannah, I, you have my blessing. Uh, but yeah, they, they probably also want to keep it private because once you publicize something, it does change things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: On the other hand, they've got a transparent two-hour finale movie musical coming out. What? So, I didn't hear
1: about that. Oh, yeah.
0: They, in fact, they, they developed it what? in New York at Joe's Pub uh, on stage before they turned it into this movie musical. So uh, maybe maybe they'll need to drop some press to elevate that, and this could be one, one way to do that. And you
2: know what? Just talking about it now, I realize why she didn't want a relationship out there. We've talked about Transparent <laughs> the last five minutes, and it's really about Douglas So that's why she didn't want to, okay, problem solved. I figured it out.
0: Here's what I'll say about Douglas (laughs) though. I was like, oh, really talking about this, isn't it a million dollars and totally sold out. And while there are tickets that are close to $200 there are also tickets that are 65, which is like not cheap, but like not bad for someone of her stature. And there are still seats available at that price. If you have flexibility on your dates
2: Yeah, and it's not at Soho playhouse. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I don't have to sit in those seats. Like I did for Fleabag, I can actually afford leg room. <laughs> anyway, that's just to say, Daryl Roth Theater, love the seats.
1: <laughs> <laughs> They're very comfortable. Oh, hey, yeah. hey when, when, I, when I saw Gloria there, it, they had because they had the in-the-round staging, so the seats didn't all have backs in them, so they gave us really comfortable cushions.
2: I saw that, too. That was the highlight of the show. Wait a minute, that was Shady. Oh, sh- but oh, it's Pride so Weekend. Pride weekend. for like,
0: Wait, wasn't Gloria at the <laughs> Vineyard? And that's, how could you do that in funny. the round? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> different show. Different show.
1: Different Very different show. Another show I wish had been in a, in a bigger house. But that's fine off-off-Broadway. Sometimes you don't want all, more of us to see your shows. It's okay. Yeah.
2: Exclusivity is its <laughs> <Exactly>. own reward.
0: <laughs> the show that I want to talk about next is one that I know the least about but sounds so interesting. I definitely am going to go see it. And it's called Merrill Mushroom's Dykes. And it's um, Merrill Mushroom is actually the name of the playwright. So the, the play is Bardykes, but they're billing it this way. Uh, it's put on by a theater company called The Other Side of Silence, also known as Tosos, who is one of the anchor partners at The Flea, which means that they use the theater at The Flea and they get certain resources from The Flea, but they're their own theater company. And they are one of the oldest LGBTQ plus theater companies They were found in 1974. Uh, This version has been around since 2002. And the show has, like, a really fascinating history. Um, So Meryl Mushroom is, like, an old-school, deep-south, butch, radical dyke. She lives in Tennessee now. I think she was in Florida when she wrote this play in the 80s. This play is about lesbian bar culture from the 1950s, and it was considered lost for a while. And then last year, sadly, Mushroom's house burned down, And there was a movement among her friends and fans to help restore her library and her archives. And someone sent her a copy of this play, which I don't think she even had a copy of before. And so now that she had her hands on a copy, she got it republished in partnership with Pegacorn Press. And it just had a reading by Tosos. And now this production starting July 11th will be its first full New York City production. I and mean, it's co-directed by Mark Finley, who's the Tosos Artistic Director, and Virginia Beta, who's a member of the Queen's Company, which is an all-female classical theater troupe that I'm obsessed with. And they're doing an immersive staging, so it'll be like wandering into this bar and, and eavesdropping on these conversations among 11 1950s butch and femme lesbians. And it just sounds so... It's just so great. So it's... We tend to... It's, especially right now when everybody's all about like Stonewall 50, we tend to forget that there was queer life in America before Stonewall and that mm-hmm. that's an important part of history to understand and remember, especially as lesbian bars are sadly and quickly becoming uh, a thing only of history. They're shutting down at an alarming rate. So I think this will be both important and good. It's only 30 bucks, And uh, July 11th through August 3rd, I'm really looking forward to it.
2: The play I want to talk about is Mojada. At the Public Theater by Louis Alfaro. Alfaro. Alfaro.
1: Am
2: I saying that right? Yeah. And directed by Che Yu, uh, running July 2nd to August 11th. And uh, Louise had uh, Oedipus El Rey last season, which I managed to catch at the tail end. I think it was in December, because mm-hmm. I was running from my Christmas party uh, to see one of the last performances of Oedipus El Rey, and now he's taking on Medea uh, and adapting that and setting it in uh, on the border of Mexico and about a young Mexican mother who gives up everything to bring her son to America, only to find America demands even more. Uh, and so what I loved about Oedipus El Rey was not only the mix of ancient Greek themes with the Mexican culture but also transforming that. Because it's really simple just to take two things and slap them together. Mm-hmm. Say, here's a taco, here's some chicken teriyaki, you know, <laughs> ta-da, Chinese Mexican food. And you're like, that isn't really good, that's kind of lazy. But good blending is when you take the the catharsis of Greek theater, you combine it to the politics of what's going on now, as well as the catharsis and the spirituality of Mexican culture. And I feel like uh, I don't know anything about Mahara yet, and I haven't seen it. But given my experience with Oedipus El Rey, he probably will do that. And considering the fact that it's directed by Che Yu, uh, who's a brilliant dramaturg and director, I'm sure there is a lot of that poetry, humor, and heart that I saw in Oedipus El Rey. Um, and it's a tragedy. I I do have. I I will say my only concern is it's Medea. We all know how it ends. The question is, are you going for a new revelation within the story, or are you leaning into the fact, like traditional Greek tragedy does, that everyone knows the ending? So once you know how it ends, you can detach your brain from, like, the puzzle-making, puzzle-solving self, and then dive into the emotion. Because the whole purpose of Greek tragedy, since everyone knows the ending, there are no spoilers alerts back then. They were like, I'm telling you the ending. We all know the ending is that what happens, at least in my opinion, neurologically is when you're not trying to figure out what's happening in the plot, something happens to the brain where it dives into the deeper realms and the deeper crevices of emotions that are unexplored. And you experience this catharsis. I remember I was 19 years old at Northwestern taking an intro to drama class and we watched a classic uh, retelling of Agamemnon Uh, That someone had filmed with the BBC and they had traditional mask wooden mask and they were telling this story and the poetry was flowing out and it was haunting and we all know how Agamemnon ends we read the book but it tapped into another part of the brain that a lot of contemporary drama doesn't because we're all caught up in the plot. Contemporary draws like the plot, the plot, the reveal, the reversal. Oh my God, you're my cousin. You're my sister. And then, you know, no spoiler alerts because we want to focus on the actual storytelling. And what's beautiful, I don't know if this is going to happen, but I feel like Oedipus El Rey ha- had that same tone. We all know what Oedipus does. And so it was like a, a dream fugue state at a certain moment where you're preparing for it and you almost begin anticipating, dreading, and wanting to change the ending that is inevitable, a.k.a. it is fate, and that is the horror of fate, is that you see it coming down the tracks from a mile away, and yet you're drawn to the tragedy, repelled by it, and at the same time you're anticipating it. And so I'm wondering if it will have that same cathartic tone, that same tragic tone, and applying that to contemporary culture, which you almost never see, because it's not even taught in theater school anymore. That sort of that sort of art form. So I'm excited about it for those reasons. And I may be completely wrong when I actually see it. It may be just a a soapy retelling or it may be just all plot, but I feel like it's not going to be like that.
1: And the great thing is it's been playing all around the country prior to this. I think the world premiere was in like 2017 at Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And so, or it may have been somewhere else, somewhere out, somewhere on on the West Coast. It did play Oregon Shakespeare Festival though. But – and so for all the people who think, oh, he's just trying to – they're just trying to capitalize on the border crisis, this has been going on for a while. But what I also love about, like, using – taking these Greek myths and then transposing them to our time and adapting them is, like – Remember that uh, Jesse Green review of Much Ado About Nothing, where he talked about how. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> you know, these people. What's so great is. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. What's so great is, like, these characters aren't pretending to be white people. They're themselves, oh, and yeah. they're doing Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. But. And the thing is what, pe- what a lot of people forget is like these are supposed to have universal themes, and so like they're supposed to be relevant to all of us, And, and when you cast people of color in the traditional in these like classic plays, they are not pretending to be white people, it's just why do you think it's universal? It's because like we're all people, and we all have reached that that, that sense of desperation that Medea has that, that leads her to kill her kids. Is the same sense of desperation that is universal and that is timeless. And sometimes we for, we forget and we allow like these like artificial demarcations and borders to like divide us from each other and pretend like oh these these other people aren't human. They don't have the same emotions that I do. I completely agree.
0: Well, Hara is at the Public Theater through uh, August eleventh. Uh, tickets go from sixty to one hundred and fifty dollars. I think the one hundred and fifty are just for like schmancy people yeah. when I was so looking, in, in their the, lap when I was looking at the map like the $150 tickets are literally right next to the $60 tickets so I don't quite understand who buys those
2: gentrification
0: right mm-hmm. But and is. also they have rush tickets through today. Ticks, they have there's a discount code that's out there if you Google for it and
2: they're free tickets available on today. Ticks for the, TodayTix, for the so. first
0: performance for the yeah. first preview yeah. and also in general for the public and especially for the public over the summer if you show up uh, for standby tickets uh, you can get cheap tickets last minute for most performances
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's the case with most theaters in New York City. I don't yeah. know about around the country, but I, I was reading this tweet from uh, Obey Janis, who's an actor, and she said, oh, I've shown, like, when it says sold out, it's because the subscribers, like, scooped them up. But they don't always show up. And so if you show up day of, like, they'll have, like, cheap tickets at the last minute because some subscribers like, decided to not use their seat that night.
2: The last time I saw some people not get into a show at the public were waiting was that one person told with Ann Hathaway about the flight. That <laughs> oh, was like yeah, four years ago. Grounded. Yeah. grounded. That was the last time I saw people in the audience being like told like, no, what do you mean no? <laughs> we're, we're waiting. We always get in. Like, sorry. Uh, she sort of was big deal. Yeah, so.
1: But if you're trying to like go, if you're trying to like go strange loop or Mahana yeah. or like any other. Oedipus L Ray was the yeah. day of.
2: I ran from New Jersey in a Christmas party and they're like, don't worry. It'll be fine. Even mm-hmm. though it was sold out
0: online.
1: Yeah. yeah. Right,
0: and listen, it never hurts to show up and ask.
1: Yes, exactly. Hack I, it. I've
0: even like on Broadway, shown up and at like seven thirty, and made puppy dog eyes and said, "What's what's the least expensive way I can see the show tonight?" And uh, and it works, mm-hmm. not always, but often. Yeah, show
2: them a little leg, bat your <laughs> eyes, and you never know what you get when you're David Levy.
1: <laughs> yeah, just like slide a do- like a hundred dollar bill underneath a thing. Oh, uh, if what it's a hundred dollars, I'm gonna I buy know. a ticket. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah. This is Monopoly I mean, money.
0: <laughs> oh well, just, I mean, buy like a Tootsie Roll club. pop. Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is just like at the
2: club. A Tootsie Roll pop, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like nostalgia. I might, I might give you a free ticket.
1: The next one I'm gonna gonna recommend is called "Midsummer: A Banquet," presented by Third Rail Projects and Food of Love. Uh, Third Rail is one of my favorite immersive theater companies in New York City. I feel like they. Like, their stuff is always so inventive thematically. Like, their um, their biggest hit is Then She Fell, which is the Alice in Wonderland theme thing that's been running in Bushwick for since 2012, which is practically unheard of, unheard of for, like, an off-off Broadway company. And, like, their last thing I saw was at LCT3, actually, and it was about, like, the making of theater, and it was, like, all around that... Like backstage LCT three in the dressing rooms, like, mm. it, and and it's like places I don't, I don't normally get to go in a theater, and so I re- I always really enjoy it. It's always like the people are always beautiful, and <laughs> which is very important. the 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 music is the the music is usually like very. Like very very whimsical and like very melancholy. It, it's it's very dance based, so there's not a lot of text there, which is why I'm surprised that they're doing Shakespeare. But you know how can you screw that up? It's a Midsummer Night's Dream with food involved.
0: Wait, how can you screw up Shakespeare? <laughs> Would you like a very lengthy list? Oh,
2: sorry, sorry. The Captain of the Titanic. How can we screw this up?
1: I know, but they're so good at what they do. Like I don't see them fucking up Shakespeare that badly,
0: and, and there's, there's food involved. Yeah.
1: Like, how, I'm not going to be mad at that. And it's also, in the, it's like, Midsummer is so basic. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a basic thing yeah. to do. And it's about hedonism and it's about gluttony and just taking in all of the feelings. And so you add that and food and it sounds like a fun way to, a fun date night.
2: It's a basic bitch Shakespeare,
0: Shakespeare exactly. pretty much. And but
1: just, you know what? I just need to turn off my brain for a little bit, so I'm going to enjoy that. And
0: this one's, I think, in Union Square, too, so it's like not even having to schlep out to...
1: Exactly. ...the
0: deepness of Brooklyn. So all you yes. basic bitches, get out there and... Exactly. And <laughs> eat en- some food.
1: Eat some food and enjoy some Shakespeare.
0: Uh, and it's only $75. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> for the bad seats, 200 <laughs> for the comfortable seats. How many courses?
1: Uh, I think. Uh, I think... It's a multi-course. I think it's like so a full like least, meal, but yeah. it's, it's
0: tapas style. It's small plates. Oh,
2: okay. So I'll bring my own McDonald's.
1: Yeah. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and, well, when I, when I first saw then she felt like there are some free booze involved. So maybe there'll be free booze involved this time.
2: I still oh, have not seen that show, right. and that's why I made that face, because I feel so terrible. It's been running forever. Sorry, go
0: ahead.
1: I, I was going to say, I haven't seen it
0: either, but that's because as as good as I know it is supposed to be, it's expensive and there mm-hmm. even then there's like a mailing list you can get on for rush tickets but even the rush tickets are pretty expensive so
1: yeah uh, it's pretty
2: expensive as in like a hundred dollar rush
0: yeah mm. so it's not like, rush it's a special occasion <laughs> sort of thing
1: oh no definitely but it's also one of those things immersive things where they only let 30 people in so you really get a lot of one-on-one time if that's with actors if that is your jam with immersive theater not really jam? my jam. <laughs> okay. So maybe you don't much. need to see it. So maybe you don't need to see this.
2: Maybe maybe some tapenadas. Maybe it's my taponadas. Maybe something that I occasionally dip into, but not a jam. Yeah. yeah. Um, they,
1: they're, they're just going to sit there and watch you yeah.
2: eat. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not opposed. I, I know we've joked about this in other maxims about audience interaction and how much we hate it. And I've, I've learned to give up on my hatred for that because it's going to happen anyway. It's kind of like the MTA being late. It's like, it's going to happen. Why get upset? Uh, so I've, I've learned to appreciate stuff like that. Like, I'm going to tell you stories like, oh, God, this actor. And I get over my artifice or my fear of, like, I'm aware of the artifice and this person is performing. And then I start thinking what they're thinking, looking at me, how they rehearsed this. And mm-hmm. I'm, now I'm not even listening to what they're saying. I've learned to shut off that part of my brain when you have audience interaction.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, Because the, the thing is, like, immersive theater kind of, like, reminds me of being at Disneyland, Because I used to work at Disneyland, and so it just feels like being in a different world. And the thing about theater sometimes, like because I'm sitting there, I'm always aware that I'm here, you're there, and we're having two different experiences right now. And so I like being asked to work as an audience member to stay engaged. Because sometimes I think theaters take it for granted that we will be.
2: Yeah. I saw the fever at Woolly Mammoth that I think was also at the public where Mm -hmm. the audience has to participate. The show does not run unless the audience participates. And after getting, I kind of enjoyed it after being like, oh, crap, we got to get up out of our seats. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Yeah. yeah. And and if you want to see immersive theater done well, because everyone does it these days, like, Third Rail does it really well. Okay. I'll I'll check
0: it out. That and the
2: Alice. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, the next show that I want to talk about is another musical. Uh, This one is Broadway Bounty Hunter, which is the new Joey Connor show that starts July 9th at Greenwich House in the West Village. And uh, Joe wrote the music and lyrics and the book. uh, He collaborated with Lance Rubin and Jason Sweet Tooth Williams. And this is a project that he's been developing, all three of them have been developing for, for years and years. I've been hearing snippets of it at his concerts, and mm-hmm. uh, it's all over YouTube if you want to go uh, get a sense of it. It
1: had and, a world premiere a couple of years ago. At too. Barrington Stage, yeah. yeah.
0: And it uh, was written for and about uh, Annie Golden, who uh, I like to think of as beloved uh, stage and punk rock actress. Uh, you know, She was in uh, the original production of Hair and also in the film, and... These days, people know her probably best from Orange is the New Black, where she plays the character who doesn't speak whose name I'm blanking on. It is She plays herself. And from what I gather about the story, she is a uh, down-on-her-luck actress uh, of a certain age who stumbles <laughs> on a gig uh, to become a kung fu-fighting bounty hunter in South America. Mm. Uh, and <laughs> I believe she falls in love with one of her bounty hunting colleagues who's played by Alan H. Green and uh, discovers her inner woman warrior along the way. And it's sort of based on exploitation films of the seventies, Kung Fu films and black exploitation films and whatever you call the women exploitation films, like uh, uh faster pussy, get kill, kill, that sort of thing. Um, the music that I've heard is all very funky. It, It's funny. So my boyfriend goes to some theater with me, but not as much as I do. So I try to be very thoughtful about what I ask him to go see. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this one I made plans to go see with someone else. But while I was getting ready for this episode, I was watching the YouTube videos and he was transfixed. He's like, oh, that looks really good. I think I want to see that. I was like, fuck. (laughs) It's your friend. It's okay. (laughs) Um, No, maybe I'll love it so much we'll go twice. Um, But that's that's a good sign that, you know, like – Someone just wandering in on a YouTube videos like, "Ooh, that looks good. That that's like mm-hmm. that, that seems good mm-hmm. to
2: me." It uh, sounds like heterosexual camp, yeah, which actually was a thing. It sort of died off, but was a thing in the seventies, AZ with faster pussycat kill kill and that whole genre of like oh. over the top excessiveness.
0: Totally. And the directors and choreographers Jennifer Werner, who has worked with Joe on many other shows, but also is the um, associate director of Book of Mormon. So, like, mm-hmm. I, I think camp is sort of part of her working vocabulary. Uh, It does make me a little nervous that this is a show about women's empowerment, black exploitation, and kung fu that was written by three straight white guys. Um,
1: Yeah, I've heard that concern, too.
0: But there's a woman who's (laughs) directing. There's an Asian-American music director. They have a black artistic consultant uh, who's a a composer.
2: What does Uh, that mean? You know what? I'm not even (laughs) going
0: to. You know what? Even if it's just... Uh, we are giving you money because we feel bad. Like he deserves that money, so. That's <laughs> uh, nice
1: work if you can get it, right? Right. I
0: mean, I, I don't know what his actual role is, but um, Michael
2: R. Jackson took a job just like that <laughs> as a consultant, right? Which is pretty much. I mean, as listen, he in like
0: the in the publishing industry, there's something called a sensitivity reader, where mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. write about marginalized groups that you were not a part of, you pay someone from those groups to read it and say this might be problematic, or maybe you should try it this way um so maybe disney
1: has that now too yeah so like projects
0: uh, i don't think that's the worst thing to come to theater you know you know get that money if you can (laughs) um yeah i'm thinking about that
2: yeah i'm I'm processing it
1: it. oh my god that's a new side job for you yeah
2: sensitivity uh reparations Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) uh, keeper yes treasurer
1: like just just pay you to like to criticize their work be like, or even just like, yeah. we're
0: sorry that we're white people who wrote this. Like,
1: all right, sure, pay. Here's that, my rate. Right.
0: <laughs> I'm all for that. Um, so this show, uh, tickets are $49 to $149. Um, it's currently on TDF, which where, I got my tickets. Uh, I believe there's also a discount code if you Google for it. And it is currently scheduled through September 15th. Yeah. Nice.
1: Yeah, and if you can't afford Be More Chill. I like, And if people like Be More Chill, like how how does this? Well,
0: Be More Chill is very much is very much designed for teens and not only for teens, but it's it's based on a young adult novel. The characters mm-hmm. are teenagers. This is very much a show for grown-ups. The okay. you know the protagonist is a senior citizen and it's based on culture of the seventies. That said, I know that there's already like a day that a bunch of Be More Chill fans have organized as like Be More Chill fan day at Broadway Bounty Hunter, which is very cute. Mm. You know, it's a, there, it's not all the same creative People, But it's um, certainly the same composer lyricist and it is the same orchestrator and and one of the writers is in the cast of be more chill. So I think there's probably some overlap by which I think if you like be more chill, I think that's a good reason to give this a chance. If you did not like be more chill, I wouldn't say that that's a reason to avoid this. I would say that's a reason to maybe go listen to some of the songs online and see if it's your style.
2: Practicing my thoughtful poker face. <laughs> He's saying like, hmm, interesting.
1: I'm looking forward to doing a <laughs> review of this.
2: <laughs> I haven't seen Be More Chill, by the way. I just
1: really, no. I did, and I did not like it, but I love the audience. Okay. Because I've never been the oldest person in an audience before that was not a, a, like a theater for young audiences' show, and that made me like the and how much they loved it made me like it more than I than I would have otherwise.
0: Yeah, there's stuff about the show that didn't work for me, but I mm-hmm. find myself humming the songs a lot, and that's fantastic. And like I can't remember oh, the last I time a new musical has yeah. done that to me.
2: Well, my show is Native Son. Nambi E. Kelly has been. Uh, on a rampage of successful adaptations, uh, that sounded mm-hmm. passive aggressive. I'm happy she's been having these great runs, and now this did. is finally. I know it's a Pride weekend. I can't help it. And now Native Son is finally here in the city for the New York premiere. Mm-hmm. I know this play has gone around in D.C. and Chicago. Yeah, uh, and it's kind of amazing that she took this 400-page classic protest novel by Richard Wright and condensed it into a 90-minute show. And if you don't know what Native Son is about... Uh, Richard Wright, who was a very popular black novelist in the 50s and 60s, wrote a series of novels. If you went to an American high school in the 80s, odds are you've read Native Son and Black (laughs) Boy. So uh, Native Son is uh, about Bigger Thomas, who works as a chauffeur for a rich family in Chicago and he ends up doing some terrible things because of his position in life and the situation. I know I won't spoil it, although it's, you know... It is an before. American classic. Yeah.
0: There's no such thing as spoiling it. <laughs> I don't want to it's tell you what happens somebody. at the
2: end of hey, Death hey. of a Salesman, but...
0: Listen, <laughs> if you were listening to Maximu and you haven't read Native Son, press pause, go get the book, read the book, come back.
2: Now that you've come back after that press pause moment, Bigger murders the white woman who is the daughter of the of the rich guy, and also murders his girlfriend, who's black. The girlfriend's murder is inconsequential, which is politically the point. Uh, And everyone's focused on the white girl, and how she might have been murdered and raped, which she wasn't. But the whole point is, there's such a fear of black bodies, but at the same time, this attempt by white liberals to domesticate and figure out a way to placate black people, that it ends up enraging and creating and making a bad situation worse. So, uh, Native Son is this epic... Uh, Novel. It's one of those hurl it across the room books that we had to read when I was in school with Native Son, where you just at a certain moment you just throw it across the room, not because it's bad, but because you're so angry at the injustice in the world. And this is interesting because the last time I was looking forward to seeing a literary piece adapted for the stage was 1984. And I will say, (laughs) I will say that I did not hate. The Broadway version of 1984, I saw people walking out. I understand why they're walking out. But they took a very challenging novel and made it into a one-act, 90-minute play that had all these layers. And, yes, it, was, it probably belonged on BAM and not Broadway. And Native Son, I'm interested in seeing this epic adapted into a 90-minute show that is as relevant now as it was back then.
0: And who's, who's putting it on?
2: It's going to be at Duke 42nd Street. It's being put on by the actors
1: an acting company.
2: Acting company uh and it's going on from July 17th to August 24th. Uh so Duke 42nd Street, one of the easiest places to get to. All the all the major lines stop on right near there and I actually like the theater. It is a black box, but it's comfortable, it's spacious, it's right there near all the trains. Uh, and acting company is finally bringing this to New York City, which I'm excited about because I've heard this going around the country and wondering when is it going to arrive here.
0: And just you know they're doing this in rep with Measure for Measure, so uh, make sure you check the schedule bef- to make your plans so that That's an interesting... you know which night they're doing the show because it's not it's not an eight performance schedule for this. Uh, and as Tickets are $35 to $70. Uh, You can get discounts. There's a code around out there or uh, there's a deal if you want to see both shows. You can get both together for a reduced price.
2: I mean the great thing about New York City in the summer as we brought up is that everyone who has money leaves. (laughs) So you can actually see 99.9% of things during the summer, especially late July, August, when the rich people really get out of town and all of us poor schlubs are here either working or stuck inside trying to fan ourselves. So get out there in August and July, late July, and see all these shows. Don't be
0: discouraged. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Maximum Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe at iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And if you can, rate us and leave a review. It helps other people find us. You can find all of us on Twitter, Maximu is at Maximu. I'm at it's the Levy. Deep is at Deep Thoughts, and Orange is at Orange Squire. We'll be back in two weeks with a July review episode. Thanks for listening. Take care.